Blog Talk Radio. Across the country on Blog Talk Radio and later the uh, ever beautiful BeFlow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program presented by 1 800 Flowers. I'm Mike Gardner, joining with me always, Neo Torres, B- Ben Florence. BeFlow, apparently, rumors this week have surfaced that your girl, Katy Perry, is tabbed yes. the Super Bowl halftime entertainment. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, uh, she was on game day this past week. And, well, not only that, we'll dive more into that. But what was interesting is that she uh, said during the show, because there's been reported before, that the NFL wants uh, performers to pay to do the half-touch show. She explicitly said, uh, I'm interested in doing it, but I refuse to pay for it have to pay for it. And, of course, now, ironically now, with her rock star's turn in one of the more memorable game they picks of all time, that it looks like she may just be the uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime show performance. Yeah, they're linking. New York Post is linking her, either her Coldplay or CBS's favorite Rihanna to be the Super Bowl halftime uh, performer in Arizona. But we'll have more Katy Perry later in the show. And we also have a good show for you, uh, Fanatic Radio, on Blog Talk Radio. With we'll say we'll uh, we'll give farewell to one of my favorite athletes of all time. We'll talk some MLB Championship Series and college football that that is taking the uh, the country by storm and more like taking Mississippi by storm. But we begin today with the NHL opening night was uh, Wednesday and Thursday. I had the pleasure of being uh, in Dallas to see the Dallas Stars and a Western Conference finalist, Chicago Blackhawks, take the ice to the Blackhawks winning in a shootout, game-winning goal scored by Patrick Kane. And Flo, you are very excited for this as well because this is one of the many sports that you hold near and dear to your heart. And, of course, here at Fanatic Radio, we leave no stone unturned as we are going to break down the NHL season. Big uh, big picture things who are sort of the uh, the, the hot teams to look out for in the league. I think that the three teams that everybody is looking at, two from the West and one from the East, are the Boston Bruins, the L.A. Kings, and the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, the Kings, they're defending champs. Uh, It'll be interesting to watch how they do because no team has repeated a Stanley Cup champion uh, since the Detroit Red Wings way back in 1998 or so. Actually, in the late 90s. Uh, Detroit Red Wings. So, but the Kings have primed the loaded uh, once again. They return everybody uh, except for one guy. Uh, but the Chicago Blackhawks, who have been their top opponent in the Western Conference, they've met several times in the last several years in the Western Conference Finals. And so the uh, Chicago Blackhawks return to everybody as well, as do the Boston Bruins, 
It looks like a deep team. They have now won the Cup uh, now in a few years. So it's it's going to be an interesting uh, season, to say the least. But if you're going to look at the top teams, and it seems that everyone is looking at those three teams to uh, to be the favorites this year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, of course, this is the second season under the new alignment. So a team that many old-school hockey fans would I would appreciate, the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, in, this, in the East, uh, one, of the, one of the top teams, also the Montreal Canadiens, we saw make a run for the, the playoffs last year. And other teams in the West that shocked, sort of shook up the hockey landscape. Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche, they're a team that's coached by Patrick Waugh, got off to a fantastic yeah. start and was one of the best teams in the West. Who Who is your team flow that could make sort of a uh, a renaissance resurgence to the top of uh, hockey landscape? You know, a team I'm going to look at, and you're actually going to like, because it's right in your neck of the woods. I like, uh, well, one of the teams. Dallas Stars, uh, they they brought in, um, what's his name? They just made a uh, big acquisition in, uh, in free agency to uh, team up with uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben. So this Dallas offense, which was already strong, brings in the uh, the services of Jason Spezza, pardon me, uh, from Ottawa. So now now be another stronger offensive unit. Kerry uh, Landon, very uh, inconsistent at times uh, in net, but he is very talented. He's certainly capable of making the uh, explosive plays in net. The the blue line isn't great, but I think Dallas could be a team that surprised a lot of folks. And I like the Minnesota Wild as well, a team that you just mentioned. The offense wasn't great last year, but they bring in Thomas Vanek, who gives them uh, kind of the sniper, if you will, offensively that they've lacked. They have uh, their, their their goaltending is a little questionable at the moment, but they're, they have some good veteran leadership. Uh, Zach Parise, former Devil, Ryan Suter. So Minnesota Wild, as well as the uh, Dallas Stars, and ironically, both in the Central Division could be teams to look out for to uh, maybe uh, surprise a little bit. Teams that were in the playoffs that always get close to uh, getting to the Stanley Cup, especially in the West. The uh, Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks seem like are the two most snake-bit teams. But as you mentioned in the BFL 360 official preview, the acquisition of Ryan Kessler from Vancouver. So could the Ducks be uh, someone to uh, challenge the Kings, especially in that division? Absolutely. Uh, I really think that Anaheim has a very good club and can ver- can ver- I can easily see them after – the tremendous year they had last year. They're only getting better with the acquisition of the Apple and the because when they returned virtually everybody else beyond that, they got a very strong offense. So I look at this Anaheim team, I can very well see them coming out of the West. I think the West on the whole is stronger than the East, but I look at a team like Anaheim, I can very well see them hoisting the cup come June. And this is a club, but it'll be interesting. It looks like everything will be shaped up for them to face off in the second round with the Kings. Can they, because uh, the Kings have been an inconsistent regular season team, but they've been money in the postseason. Can the Ducks uh, take them on? And can uh, Andy Miami, uh no, not Nancy, but can uh, the goaltending hold up with Johnson Quick? Uh, it will be an interesting series should they face off. But this Anaheim team, very strong club, 
and can make can definitely do their fair share of damage this year. A team that I don't see in your uh, in your Eastern Conference playoffs is the uh, is our favorite Washington Capitals. This is a team mm-hmm. that rose to prominence, had so much hype, and it was always the team that they always the, uh, the little engine that never could. What? <laughs> With uh, with Alex Ovechkin growing further and further frustrated that his team is not producing, and I think they missed out on the playoffs last year. What is going mm-hmm. on with the Capitals? Can they will they make it back to the play? Will they ever get back to their winning ways? Well, the problem with the Capitals is that for the last several years, what what's become apparent is that their de- their team is not particularly well built. It's it's Alex Ovechkin. He he certainly has had his questions. Defensive effort is always uh, inconsistent and the like, but he can only do so much. The defensive unit on the team is not very good. The goaltending is uh, healthy. I kind of like him, but he's a little inconsistent. There's not a lot of depth. They do have a very good coach now in Barry Trotz, but he's going to lead a different kind of system, a far more defensive system than what we've seen in the last several years and what we've come known to with the cap as led by uh, Alexander Ovechkin. So I don't. I think they're going to take a step back this year. I don't look at them as a playoff team, although the uh, Metropolitan Division, which we do love that name, is not particularly great by any stretch either. So, I mean, I could see them maybe in the playoffs, maybe getting a wild card spot, but I look at this Washington team, and I'm frankly, I'm just not that impressed. What about Sid the Kid and the Pittsburgh Penguins? Uh, the, the issues with uh, Pittsburgh are going to be the same as they have been the last couple of years. Is that they're, they have the stars. They have Crosby. They have Evgeny Malkin. The problem is they just don't have the depth that they once had when they won the cup. When they had guys like Mark Recchi Stall and a number of other guys. They were a very deep team. This team is very top heavy. And another thing that comes in in, in, in in the Eastern Conference where with those stars, they should at least get to the Eastern Conference finals. They can very well get to the final. Yeah, Stanley Cup finals. So the problem is, which Marc-Andre Fleury are they going to get in the Marc-Andre Fleury is one of the more talented goaltenders in the league, but he is so inconsistent he could either be lights out or it could be a complete fiasco. So, and, and, he's, and he's had his fair share of issues last several years in the playoffs. So it's, it's definitely a team that has the stars to get it done. I still don't see them having the depth particularly so. But, I mean, when you have a guy like a Crosby or a Malcolm, you're always going to be a big. Yeah, you mentioned uh, good goaltending is a must by Pittsburgh. Same as the Rangers, a team that surprised the hockey world and got all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Of course, uh, thanks to Lundquist. Uh-huh. No, Stanley Cup. Yeah. Not alone the Finals. Yeah. Yeah, the Stanley Cup Finals. Thanks to our buddy Lundquist, they did not win the Cup. As, yeah. uh, we'll, go, we'll go up into the Northeast, your neck of the woods flow. Who has a better chance of doing well this year, the Rangers or your Devils? Uh, I still think it's the Rangers. Uh, they they lost they haven't they did have a great off season. They lost a number of guys and they've been known for being a team even as they showed more off of the top on their new coach Alonzo Mio last year. 
They were a team that they're very scrappy. They'll lay down the block shot. But the problem is, a lot of those key guys that would do that for them have left. So now what's going to be interesting, and, and the thing with Lundquist, he was lights out again in the postseason, and he's still one of the top goalies. But he didn't play like that in the regular season. He was, very, he was not on his top level game. If we Are we going to see the Lundquist that we saw in the postseason? Or are we, the one that helped carry that to a very surprising beer to the Stanley Cup Finals? Or the, the Lundquist that wasn't as great? Regulations will be key with this offense does. I do think they're better than the, the Devils, although not by much. And I think this Devils team could surprise, maybe make a playoff break. You know, they're, 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 they've moved on, some would say finally, from Marty Rodor, one of the legends, but frankly, <laughs> excuse me. I know, just the fact that, just the fact of having Marty Broder come back for another season has made my co-host <laughs> sick. The thing with Marty Brodeur is that he is a team legend. It was very awkward how the whole departure happened, but he just he clearly doesn't have that much left. And it was time for the team to move on with Corey Schneider. The, <coughs> the defense should be strong. Bryce Salvador, a very good defensive core. Can this team score? They brought in a bunch of guys. Mike Havlet, Mike Candelari, who are aging. They're not spring chickens but they can put the puck in the net. If they can score a little more and if Corey Schneider looks as good as he has in the past, this could be a team that could sneak into the playoffs. But as of right now, I would still say the Rangers. Uh, and that being said, who do you think is going to win it? Uh, I like because I think it's going to be very tough because that's going to be very tough to repeat. I like the Chicago Blackhawks team. I think after, the, you know, they had the grueling seven-game Western Conference Finals with the Kings last year, I think they're going to come. They're going to be motivated to get there and get back to the Cup Finals. They've got so much talent. Uh, Corey Crawford in net is coming along. I think they're going to face off with Boston in the rematch uh, of uh, a Cup Final preview from a years back. And while Boston's going to give him it all, I like Chicago to win it all this year. I could see the Ducks doing well, Ooh. or the St. Louis Blues. Those are te- those are two teams that are very on the cusp of doing well, <laughs> and, but can't get over the hump because, of course, I, I, that, I'm just saying that because I don't want to pick the Blackhawks. Blackhawks because you picked the Blackhawks. That's a team uh-huh. that uh, both I think it was both Taves and Kane signed eight-year contracts. Which the the ceiling is so high on the, those two guys, and the question is the goaltending. Uh, can uh, Crawford be the the rock solid goalkeeper that he was a few years ago? Because oh, that's always been the Blackhawks' was. They have offensive firepower, but you know the guys with T.J. Oshie and all these those young stars, they are sort of dominating hockey, which is very sad because gone are the days of sort of the uh, the old heads of the sport thriving uh-huh. well. But there's our official. NHL pre- uh, previews, go to b4360.com to read more about the breakdowns of the teams like the Arizona Coyotes and the Winnipeg Jets. Moving on to baseball, <laughs> the, uh, the CSs start tonight and this weekend with the ALCS featuring two teams of sort of David and Goliath to uh, to insert cliche sports metaphor, but it is because we have the Baltimore Orioles who just drummed the Detroit Tigers and made a laughing stock of three Cy Young winners 
And then the Kansas City Royals, who sneaked into the postseason, won the wild card, and is riding the George Brett wave of royal blue through Kansas City. Before we pick who the uh, team that is going to be winning the pennant, what has made this Kansas City Royals team so good? And then do they have a chance to actually go to the World Series? I think they've got a chance to beat Baltimore. And I think this is going to be a very fun, very tight series. Uh, what Kansas City, even though they finally got some pop and hit some homers when they needed to, and they when they really impressively took out the Angels in three, which you know it's very rarely that the team that finishes the season with the best record in baseball goes out in a sweep in the first exactly. in their first round. So what the Royals have been impressed, they, they do have a solid pitching rotation. They have a lights out back of them in the bullpen, and they've been. They're playing a lot of small ball. They're getting key hits. They're, they're, even though they did get some power with Hosmer and Moustak, they're both hitting key home runs. They're, they're doing a lot on the base pass. They're very good defensively. The Baltimore, uh, the Baltimore Orioles uh, are a little different of a club. They're more almost like the Angels. They have big, strong line. And even without some of their key guys out, don't have a great pitching staff. But what's I- interesting about the Orioles, the, their pitching staff is very good being run all over us. Just say for Bud Norris, the immortal Bud Norris. Yes. But, so it's going to be a very, I think, a tight series. It's really going to be an interesting series in the series that not that many people had either team in, or particularly the Royals. Yeah, go figure. Uh but of course, that series—I think that series starts uh, tonight, and that should be a mm-hmm. should be a tasty one because the Orioles have have brought not only the pitching, but they've brought the bats behind former Texas Ranger Nelson Cruz and former Texas Ranger manager Buck Showalter. They have proven time and time again that they are one of the best, despite mm-hmm. just missing out on the best record in baseball because that was given to the Angels. But I, I don't think. Kansas City will win. I think Orioles will go to the the World Series. They'll win the pennant. One, just because how much they dominated Detroit. That was probably one of the biggest shocks. And the other shock is is what we're talking about next. But the fact that they won that game 12-3, I think that was against Mac. Was that against Scherzer? Um, I think game one was against Scherzer. Uh, And that set the tone. Yeah. And then they beat Verlander and then you know, poor David Price couldn't, you know, he, he's basically holding up the bridge for it collapse. The, the amount of just offense that the Orioles produce, I think, is more than the Royals. Because the one factor that comes down in this series is now we go from a one-game playoff to a five-game series to now a seven-game series. And the Magic Royals have done well in, in short spans of time. Now, if if uh, it goes all the way down to Game 6 and Game 7, is this a Royals team that is willing to sort of close the door if they have the advantage? So the key game is Game 3. Because mm-hmm. if the Royals are if the Orioles are up 2-0, then go up 3-0, how will the Royals respond? Or if it's even a 2-1 series, if it's even a 1-1 series, who takes that advantage of a 2-1, of a 2-1 series? And that's where I think the Orioles, because the fact that the Orioles, I don't say I have more postseason experience because I feel like most of these players don't, but 
if Nelson Cruz gets hot, you know, look out. And Baltimore could definitely win the pennant. The, the Royals story has been hilarious. Hilariously fun to watch. Because this is a That's team right. that has not seen postseason success since the 80s. And, of course, now you got all the, uh, the, the, the assurgence of the George Brett fanatics. The <laughs> fact that, you know, he's up there in the box with this huge World Series ring, you know, intentionally showing it as he claps. The one thing that one thing that the uh, the Royals did well against the uh, Angels, which I was surprised, was they had their number. You looked at all the the stats, time those two teams met. The Royals held many of the categories. You know, they, they think they led the series. They had a better slugging percentage against them. I don't know how how well they did against the Orioles, but I don't think it's that well. That being said, moving on to the NLCS. I was very disappointed to see this because, one, it is a rematch of last year's pennant, which nobody <laughs> likes because we all love new teams. But before we get to the Cardinals and Giants, the two teams I want to talk about are the Dodgers and the Nationals. Now, many people have said, many great be- baseball experts, you being included, before, saying that good pitching usually wins <laughs> the World Series. However, the reason why I think the, Nat- the reason why the Nationals and the Dodgers are not playing for the pennant is not pitching. But their managers. Look, looking at the Nationals first, they were just a, I think, a third of an inning away from winning a game that ended up being one of the longest in postseason history, in which mm-hmm. they couldn't, they couldn't hit a bat, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, as you know, we saw Jason Worth get one hit, Bryce Harper going 0 for seven, Adam LaRoche going 0 for seven, it was just a laughable. Bad excuse for a team that should have been in form. But it all started with taking Zimmerman out. Yep. Yeah, it's it's definitely it definitely was an interesting call. I'm actually one of the people that didn't surprisingly I didn't hate the decision to pull Zimmerman. I do think that uh Williams should have kept him in at least one more batter. I think he panicked uh a little early. But the thing is when you look at the numbers, and I do know that people hate when you bring this up, but when you look at the numbers, Zimmerman was at 100 pitches. His numbers, uh, it's against the array. Uh, they all go up when he's past 105 pitches. I don't know if that's why Matt Williams pulled him out. He probably wanted to put the closer in. But I think that ultimately, I mean, obviously it didn't work. But I don't hate the decision. I'm still relatively on the fence about it. But I don't hate the decision as much as some other people do pulling him out. But Matt Williams definitely uh, wasn't a great series for him, particularly what what I thought was awful, awful magic at his part, was a game four. Seventh inning, they had the lead against the Giants. Instead of putting in, and this is the thing that uh, drives me and a lot of other people crazy, Tight situations, late in game, put in your best guys. Three, like, guys on the back end of rotation. His reasoning was that, well, there are my seventh inning guys. First off, I mean, well, the theory is, is idiotic. And the fact that that's how Washington uh, lost game four. So, but in terms of the Zimmerman thing, I don't hate it as much as other people do. It obviously didn't work. And on a night when it was very cold, and I can experience that. It was very cold. Uh, nobody was able to get the ball up and out of the park. Right? And Chase Wood had some shots. 
a couple of which would have gone out had it not been so cold and such a, a but ultimately it was Belt who got the bomb. I mean, he crushed that ball to get that ball out. So that game was huge, and ultimately the the Nats were more or less the dog after that. Yeah, and of course on the other side, with Matt Williams acting too soon, do you think Don mm-hmm. Mattingly acted too late by letting Kershaw out to dry in that game one loss? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, what happened is then you saw a similar thing in game four uh, where uh, Kershaw, he let him in, and then he pulled him after Kershaw again. And then, but the problem is game, there is kind of a difference. Game four, you could tell that after he gave us a couple of singles that uh, Kershaw was starting to fatigue. The problem is LA's got a very expensive but a very mediocre bullpen. I don't know there who they could have gone to. Game one, they held out, they went up with him too long. And Mattingly, who really isn't a great manager, he wins a lot of games, but in, when it, in a bang bang situation, he's not a great guy to have in your corner. And it burned him with Kershaw, who had this ungodly season, is going to win MVP. He's going to win, clearly win the Cy Young, and he lost two games to the Cardinals. I was saying uh, a week ago, if the Cardinals could get one game, they may have a chance. They took uh, Kershaw out twice, and I thought that was pretty impressive for a Cardinals team that isn't even that great offensively. Right. That being said, with Matt Carpenter swinging, swinging the lumba, and the Giants also doing the same as they beat the Nationals. Who do you have going? Do you have the Do we have the Cardinals going back to the World Series, or will Los Gigantes think otherwise? I at the moment I have the Cardinals getting back. I think it could be a very fun, a very tight series, kind of like the ALCS. Uh, you know, people are hoping in Missouri. My friends in Missouri are hoping for I seventy series, which of ah. course Kansas City, St. Louis, but also don't know that an I seventy series would also include St. Louis and Baltimore because that road does go that does that road does end in Baltimore. I didn't even know that. I thought it ended in uh just in Maryland, but I didn't know it went all the way to Mar- to uh, Baltimore. But I do think St. Louis is gonna get by because they have a good bullpen and I think their hitters are patient. They don't uh strike out that much. And I think they can get some hits, string them together against the Giants, and I think they're going to get by him. But it's, it's going to be a fun series, and both of these series are going to be very much exciting. Unlike other sports, baseball, there's no revenge factor in baseball. I think St. Louis will win because if they if they could sh- the shut down a very offensive Dodgers team, you can only imagine what they do going up against you know Posey and Sandoval. Good pitching duels. That's that. This, these two teams bring out the good pitchers. You'll have you know Wainwright and Bumgartner. You maybe we'll see an appearance by the freak, Tim Lincecum. Who knows? That being said, Flo has Orioles and Cardinals, as do I. But Excellent. you can stay tuned and watch <laughs> those games later uh, this weekend and this week and and tonight. But we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some college football. And the U.S. men's national team who takes on Ecuador with some new faces that we will take you up to speed on. Once again, you're listening to Fnatic Radio on Block Talk Radio. It's Fnatic Radio. What's wrong with that? 
He fought for his country. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Radio. Just email your favorite song to thefanaticradio 
at gmail.com. Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, presented uh, on Fanatic Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers. Reminding you fans, go to 1-800-Flowers.com as it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Buy some pink, beautiful roses and tulips for half price. Mention Fanatic Radio when you do. And the rest is yet to come for beautiful uh, arrangements made from 1-800-Flowers. Also, you can check out the podcast to this episode. Listen to Beautiful and Ice NHL Predictions and MLB postseason predictions as we laugh at the Royals and make fun of poor managing in the first half of the show on the podcast oh. on iTunes and BFO360.com. Also, the, the show page, blogtalkradio.com slash radio. Before we get to the rest of our show, time for History and Sports. With History and Sports, I'm Eileen Ehrlich. Leila Ali, daughter of the legend Muhammad Ali, made her professional debut at the Turning Stone Casino on the Oneida Indian Nation in Verona, New York. Ali's opponent, April Follower, was participating in her second professional fight in less than 31 seconds in the ring. Follower was out of shape and had less experience than her big-name opponent. A fight consisting of two inexperienced boxers does not normally grab the attention of anyone but the local press, but the Ali family name captivated 3,000 live viewers alongside media outlets from all over the world. Ollie's career lasted eight years. She faced off against some of the best female boxers, including Jackie Frazier Lyde, the daughter of Joe Frazier. Ollie Frazier 4 was a generational grudge match featuring a 23-year-old Ali and 39-year-old Frazier. It took eight rounds for the judges to name Ali the winner. Surprisingly, only 300 press passes were distributed for the match. Two-thirds the amount of press passes given out for a NCAA Women's Final Four game. The arena was only able to hold 8,000. Ali is now married to retired NFL player Curtis Conway. They have two children. Their son, Curtis Muhammad, was born in 2010, and their daughter, Sydney, was born in 2011. I thank Eileen for that. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, this day in history of Layla Ali making her first fight. Also, for fans, now in the- or in theaters October 10th, which is today, you're going to see the movie I Am Ali, a documentary from Focus Features uh, featuring the great, the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. Fantastic uh, piece of cinematography. The man behind the legend, an intimate portrait. Goes, uh, you know, archival footage of him and his family. His talks of the Thrilla in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle. And rumors that he did he or did he not throw his Olympic medal off a bridge in Louisville, Kentucky? I don't know. Go see the movie. But we sure. roll forward with some uh, college football talk. Now, I don't want to toot our own, I don't want to toot the chrome horn on this show. But did we or did we not flow give the uh, the world a fabulous preview of last week? as we praised the Lord that there were some good college football games. And what ensues probably the wildest <laughs> weekend in college football. Upsets here and there. We see just absurd jumps in the polls as TCU goes from 25 to 9. And then we see Mississippi State go from 12 to 3. We see Texas A&M fall. We see you know Stanford maybe in and out, in and out of the polls. And now we have a huge shakeup where the only team that came out the weekend unscathed, two teams, was Baylor and Florida State. And the best part about it, fans, we get to relive it again as we have another fantastic slate of college football games. Flo, what will be your favorite matchup to look out for? 
Well, it's interesting. The team that made the biggest trouble, even uh, bigger than TCU, was Arizona. Arizona pulled the rare feat after the impressive win in Eugene of going from unbeaten rank to the top ten. They're ranked 10th right now, which is really crazy. With Richard at the helm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's ironic that, you know, he's doing well with Michigan after his very successful tenure in Michigan. Michigan's falling apart again. But, you know, there were a lot of really great uh, football games this weekend. Uh, A game that I'm very much looking forward to is uh, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. Actually, and as well as – actually, no, no, I'm I'm complaining. Ole Miss and A&M? What's, I Actually, I think I may have that matchup incorrect. I know maybe it's Ole Miss that's playing Texas. Actually, yes, it's Ole Miss that's playing Texas A&M. Pardon me, but Mississippi State is themselves in an even bigger matchup this week after their uh, tremendous win because they played in the Mississippi uh, last week. They're hosting Auburn this Saturday. I have been very much against Auburn this year. I think I get them now two, at least twice. I picked them to lose. To Kansas State, they had an impressive win in Manhattan. I picked them to lose last week at LSU. I was really bad as LSU was, was pretty terrible. But now I'm going to pick against them. But now we get a matchup of top two, three teams in Starkville, which will host game day a week after game day was in uh, Oxford. They're going to go a little further south in Mississippi. And it's going to be Mississippi State Auburn. I think this Mississippi State team is for real. I'm very high in Jack Prescott. I like Mississippi State to win this game. But who would have thought we would be seeing not only the two Mississippi teams in the top five, they're both tied for third, which I think is hilarious. And now Mississippi State is having a top three showdown at home this weekend. It's it's college football in. Totally wild, and I love it. Those, those, no, the two Mississippi matchups. Uh, we'll talk about those in a minute. The the non Mississippi matchup that I am looking forward to is an interesting one between UCLA and Oregon. Now that will oh. be the game of Fox featuring our boy Gus Johnson, because ever That's since right. because the Pac-12 in in a matter of of seven seven <laughs> to nine days yeah. went from. Heavy favorites doing well, you know, avoiding the tough, the tough up, the the tough upsets or tough games. UCLA survived Texas at Jerry World. Oregon flexed their offensive muscles by scoring 30 points in three minutes against a good Michigan State team in Eugene. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. this weekend, it just they it's a 180 flip, and everything stands on their head as every Pac-12 team has a loss. Oregon loses to Arizona at home. UCLA loses to Utah after two field goals, and the guy still couldn't make it. USC <laughs> loses on a Hail Mary to Arizona State. Oh, my. So this Oregon-UCLA matchup is very crucial because with Stanford's loss to Notre Dame, Stanford is still looking around being that best team in the Pac-12, but not by much. And when I say not by much, not by much, because <laughs> the winner of that Oregon-UCLA team because we could that could potentially be a rematch of the Pac-12 championship game, but the other Pac-12 game is USC at Arizona. Now both UCLA and Oregon that should be a great game because both those teams are coming off losses and are just going to just beat 
the first thing that they see, and it happens to be the other team. So that's very intriguing in terms of the ranking, in terms of Pac-12 rankings. Now, for the overall uh, grand scheme of the national landscape, I think it's hilarious that both Mississippi teams are third because it's almost like the little kids like, well, if if I can't have it, then no one can have it. So if I can't be number, if I can't be higher than them, then no one will be higher than them. So they are dead even. The Mississippi State Auburn game. This will be a chance to prove how good uh, Mike Dicka impersonator Gus Malzahn is, and uh, and Marshall their quarterback. Uh, what many are saying is the uh, the reincarnated Scam Newton. So it'd be interesting to see how good Auburn's off- offense is going into Mississippi State with more cowbell. Then more Calville than a Saturday Night Live skit. How good is uh, the, the, that offense that just ripped A&M to shreds? Now, other than the game, which is very exciting, on CBS, we get Vernon Gary Danielson. Everyone loves that. More than just the game, I think it will be the game day. Because we saw last week, uh, ESPN game day producer was saying that's the best game day of all time. And rightfully so. You know, the Grove they had to shut down the University Street. The Grove was packed. We had the fabulous signs, the tailgates, the drunks, the dress-ups. The uh, a great a great game day sign that said "dressed up to get messed up" with a bow tie on a solo cup. And we'll get a re- And the best part about it is we'll just get a repeat of that. But more intriguing, I think, is who the guest will be, because naturally ESPN flexed their their. Uh, their clouded muscles and got and got someone who had no affiliation to the school, no affiliation to college football, just the person with a lot of Twitter followers, which happened to be Flo's boy, Katy Perry, who openly admitted her only connection was her manager went to Ole Miss and had never seen a college football game, which is, fa- which is fabulous when you have her picking college football. So now which way will ESPN go? With this game day, will they get someone who is a true alum uh, the great was an article from the uh, the Courier, the, the Clarion Legend Ledger, which is the uh, the newspaper in uh, Starkville for Mississippi State, and that covers Mississippi State. And they had the, one of the reporters had fans tweet to him, "Who do you think their their uh, special picker is?" Which I think is is lame because one, there's way too many people on the set when you added Desmond Howard and David Pollock. Your boy. Just to, so adding so adding a game adding a guest picker in the middle of the sta- in the set set just makes it so awkward, so crowded. You know, Corso's you know Corso's wetting himself, he can't control it. People are going nuts. And then you got the duck who can't even speak, so he's gotta bring all the props. It just gets out of hand. So some of the names I'm gonna and so the, the a likable name is that someone mentioned was Jonathan Papelbon, who is uh one of the very he's, as he mentioned, one of the very few Missouri State players playing Pro Bowl. And you know, he has some free time, you know, his team's not in the playoffs. But yeah. some of the names as we scroll down this list are just out of control. One fan said Snoop Dogg. I don't know how he relates, but okay. Um another is Kermit the Frog. Uh so, I so and then another great one was Jimmy Buffett, who is a Mississippi native, and then someone mentioned Oprah. So I don't know. It, it, oh, it's God. so far, it's so far across the gap of of what ESPN could do. I personally think they should stick to the guidelines of having someone with ties to the state, and or someone with ties to the school. Because as soon as they go after just no, a random guest, that's when they start getting with the ratings, and of course people are going to watch Game Day. 
because they want good insight and hilarious insight to college football, uh-huh. breaking down all the games. You know, not because not that I, not that I didn't like your girl Katy Perry on game day. I didn't like your girl Katy Perry on game day. But no insight. So many inside jokes. Even Kurt Herbstreit was like, "This show is going way over our heads." Yeah, but her but, picks were very good, though. She made some great picks. She actually had a very strong record with her picks. Really? And she had corn dogs. Yes. So that game day is, uh, is Saturday morning in Mississippi State. <laughs> I think Mississippi State will win because uh, we all love good afternoon games. I don't think Auburn has an. I don't think Auburn's defense is that good to go into an environment like that. That being said, the Ole Miss A&M game will not be closer than the experts think. I think Ole Miss is going to get drummed because they are coming off an emotional high beating an Alabama team that uh-huh. had all the chances to win, even even had to do you know cheating face masks to get a fumble recovery, and they and saving the <laughs> team still couldn't win. Yeah. Now, but now they go into Kyle Field against an A&M team that lost by you know forty plus, and Kenny Hill's Heisman status just smashed like the stock market. So they're uh-huh. going to be mad. They're going to have home field advantage, and they're going to play an Ole Miss team that looked very shaky and luckily had home had you know the home fans to rally Bo Wallace, who looks very very tentative at times. I think Texas uh-huh. A&M will win because that's usually what we've seen in college football: teams that get blown out one game, come back and just destroy the next team. But another, speaking of, as we stay in the SEC, uh, yesterday the NCAA the school announced that it is Georgia is. Spend, suspending tailback Todd Gurley indefinitely pending an investigation to alleged violations of NCAA rules saying that he might have gotten money for autographs. Flo, this is one of the, and along with the teams, this is one of the wildest personal stories we've seen come out of the NCAA because Gurley was one of the best running backs in the country. Absolutely. You're talking about a Heisman candidate who now may not end up playing at all this year. It's very interesting how this story broke out. Uh, SB Nation, the very interesting article, saying that somebody, he basically tattled on Gurley. He was, I guess, an, uh, a, uh, a memorabilia guy, and he had proof. Now, the, according to the SB Nation guys, the proof was very uh, not certain. It was just an African-American guy with dreads in a car signing stuff. It ultimately did prove to be girly, but SB Nation didn't think that much about it, or not think much about it, but they didn't think it was a conclusive evidence. And But this is a wholly bizarre story. It couples in with the fact that the NCAA rules are, of course, we all know are ridiculous about stuff like this. But if you violate the rules, I guess you violate the rules. This is now uh, a very big one, uh, considering cause he wasn't put the strong potential Heisman candidate Georgia was looking like probably the best team, even with a very mediocre defense, perhaps the best team in a much weaker SEC West than the and SEC East. Now they have to go into Missouri against a team that's probably the second best, if not the best team in the SEC East. And they still lost to Indiana at home, which I have no idea how that happened. But what happens is going to be interesting to see here. They're going to have uh, Nick Chubb, who's a very good running back, a little different of a player than uh, Gurley. Uh, I still think Georgia can get the win, uh, but I could very well, I would not be surprised at all if Mizzou at home, at throw field, gets that win now without Gurley. But the Gurley thing, uh, it's just, just uh, the, uh, the whole thing about it with this guy that ratted him out, very questionable. Uh, uh, and so it's, 
it's going to be an interesting story going forward. But it looks like Todd Gurley's season may be over in a pretty uh, surprising manner, at least as in that it came out of nowhere. And with Marcus Mariota losing, with Kenny Hill losing, is Jameis Winston now sort of, is it his Heisman to lose if he stays undefeated? Uh, I think he's going to be in the mix, but, you know, I mentioned Dak Prescott. He's been sensational this year, and I think he is he is very much in the Heisman running himself as well. I think that a lot of times teams have been, uh, or voters have been hesitant to go with a guy going for a back-to-back. We saw that last year with Manziel. We, I think we'll, we may see that with Winston. Winston's been good. He hasn't been great. And, of course, he missed that game for the suspension. And he, you wonder if voters will uh, penalize him for that. So, Winston's going to be in the mix. But I think uh, Dak Prescott out of Starkville, you know, all eyes are going to be on him on CBS this Saturday. But I think he's very much in that high running in his, to his, in his own right. Yeah, and the name that no one has talked about because – Let's be honest, they haven't gotten the big win, which they could get this weekend, is Bryce Petty of Baylor. A Baylor team that I don't like just be, just because of the mere fact that Baylor was once a garbage program in the Big 12, is now fifth in the country, and has yeah. many picks to be in the Final Four playoff of the college football playoff. He This is the game that he has to prove himself, because he's taking on a TCU defense that, that pretty much kept Trevor Knight in Oklahoma in check. Uh-huh. And if he does well, he is at home. He is in that new. He is in that new McLean Stadium, which which, which looks fa- which looks fabulous, by the way. Very European esque it in its designs, and it's and they go up against a, a team of TCU that runs sort of a similar offense. So it's gonna be very high scoring shootout. So which team, TCU or Baylor, will get the better? If Bryce Petty does get the better, I think if Baylor has to play, I don't think Baylor has to play Oklahoma. But if they do, that is the the final test. The Baylor could even run the table and win the Big 12. So he could be someone that uh, is very Heisman prime. Bring us uh, old reminiscence of a certain someone that graduated from Baylor and is now playing with the Redskins. That's right. The man with three eyes after his last name. That's right. Moving on, staying with football, moving on to the NFL. <laughs> Rumors have surfaced this weekend flow that the NFL has a poss- that wants to return a team to Los Angeles. Out of all the, the garbage teams in the league, uh, many are Fox Sports is linking St. Louis Rams because owner Stan Kroenke has a piece of land of L- in L.A. Live in downtown Hollywood Park. And, of course, mm-hmm. everyone's favorite Oakland Raiders who still plays in a baseball field. Roger Goodell is saying he wants a team to return to the NFL by 2015-16 flow. Will that be likely? Will we see a team in America's second largest city? Uh, you know, this is something that I was uh, thinking about earlier. Was It was very interesting is that about this whole thing is that the it's, you can make a case that Los Angeles has been more valuable Without for the NFL, without having a team, they're with having a team. What I mean by that is that so many like smaller market teams or teams like the Vikings uh, were able to get a new stadium out of threatening to move to Los Angeles. The Jaguars uh, were able to help get uh, renovations. A bunch of other uh, a number of teams have threatened to go to LA and thus have been able to get new teams or new stadiums deals, all that stuff. 
when you put a team there, you lose that that chip. And what's interesting is that Los Angeles has been without a team for 20 years. How well can a team go back in there? If you look at the NFL, uh, like, county and city maps, the most popular team in Oakland is still the or in Los Angeles is the Raiders. I do think there may still be some Rams fans left. Not as much. Another team that I think is going to be in the mix. It was interesting that there was a report that the NFL won two teams in right. LA, which, so which is kind of crazy because. And then you heard a report that the NFL could possibly use uh, beyond maybe the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl, which are always tight in. Maybe go into Dodger Stadium using Dodger <laughs> Stadium as a temporary venue, which I think would be a complete mess, considering if the Dodgers are in a deep playoff run. But I think that it's, the Raiders have an issue because they, they have a terrible stadium deal. It, it's going to be tough for them to build a new stadium in Oakland, in my opinion, when you already have a brand-new stadium built. And the NFL has been pushing them for the Raiders to share because instead of moving into the 49ers in Silicon Valley where there's a ton of money, so it could very well be a tough to build a competing venue in Oakland. The Rams, as you mentioned, Stan Kroenke he owns that, uh, bought that piece of land at the Hollywood Park, which it may not be big enough, some would say, to have an NFL stadium and parking, considering a lot of the, the land right now is parking for the most part. And that you know, and some have wondered if it's too close to uh, LAX to build a stadium there, but all, others have said that shouldn't be an issue. Another team that's in the mix that desperately needs a new stadium is in a very old venue. It's the Chargers, the closest team to LA. They have never been able to get significant momentum going towards building a new stadium in San Diego and, uh, you know, way down in that area. So you have three likely teams that all have played in LA before. <coughs> but I'm not certain that. <coughs> Excuse me, got a hairball. Once again, fans, the lack of bad ownership in the NFL has made Flo sick. <laughs> That's right. Jeez. But the what's interesting about the Rams is that they have the the, the Ed, Edward Jones bill is not that old. It's only about 20 years old. I feel a little less. What will be interesting now with, about that is that they can get out of there at least early if it's considered to not be among the top of the like 50 or 25% of stadium. Actually, I believe it is 25%, which it clearly isn't. Everyone will, everybody, every party admits that. And then they get out of there at least early. The Rams make sense. The Raiders also, you know, they have their own stadium issues. They're going to have to find a way to get out of there at least out of O.Co. Coliseum. But the old three of these teams are very much in play. But I'm still skeptical if we will see a Raider or a team, any team in L.A. anytime soon because it's just that they're, you know, useful negotiating chip for the league. Yeah, and the, the fact that they want to build that Farmers Stadium in L.A., to, that, which was originally <laughs> going to host the Super Bowl 50, but then they uh-huh. built Levi's Stadium. Out of the three teams, who has the highest odds of going to L.A.? I'm going to go with you know, it, it's very tough, but I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the Rams, because they have an out in their lease with the fact that if their stadium is not one of the better stadiums, the top 20 or 25% of stadiums in the NFL, which it isn't, 
I think that, and Crosby has this land. I think they have a little more uh, than the Raiders, who do have, would have to get out of their lease. The Chargers would also get out of their lease. And the Raiders had their issues in the past going to L.A. And I really think ultimately for the Raiders, I could still very well see them playing at Levi Stadium at some point because they have to get out of that venue. They're in there. I do like the Rams going back. The old Los Angeles Rams, the days of uh, right. Deacon Jones and Eric Dickerson. We love that. We love throwback. I think the the best the 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 team I would like to see is the Oakland Raiders, just because of the fact that when the Raiders were good, they were the L.A. Raiders, as told That's by right. IQ. Back when they had John Madden and and, and everyone, and, and they were only there for like nine years, but they were like one of the best teams in the NFL. The most right. probable is the most business wise is the Rams because of Stan Kroenke actually having a business plan. But the most probable, I think, would be San Diego. Because Qualcomm is uh, a dump. That stadium yeah. is like Pro Player Stadium, Land, Land Shark Stadium, Miami Stadium in Miami. It's a, it's a big venue, but it's a dump. It's falling apart. And San Diego really has nothing to lose. St. Louis leaves the Edward Jones Dome, which is was very... Is, is, the only thing in St. Louis, apart from the Blues and the Cardinals, Ramsley, St. Louis, that city is is I wouldn't say irrelevant, but it has no NFL franchise. And then the Raiders, you know, they have so much red tape with that franchise of yep. pointing fingers and always putting the blame on someone other than themselves. That it's it's like you know prying you know, pry the fingers away from from Oakland. I still love the, the thing that you mentioned. They play in Dodger Stadium. So it's like the Los Angeles Raiders will be opening oh. their season in Dodger Stadium. <laughs> like everyone yeah, loves gosh. it. We'll definitely keep an, keep an eye as the story unfolds because yeah, I thought that the NFL does need a team in LA because I think they're doing fine. But it would be very uh-huh. cool because a lot of the old school NFL guys that think, you know, the NFL has gone to the dogs, you know, there's too much, you know, too much violence and showboating and Joe Horn cell phones. So it'd be nice to see a little bit of <laughs> old school history coming from the coming from a former Pro Football Hall of Fame intern. So we'll keep an eye on that as the NFL That's moves right. forward. I think the timeline is too short. I think 2017-2018 because 2015 is next year and 2016, uh-huh. 2016 the NFL will be cashing all in on Super Bowl 50. So we'll keep an eye on that. And our final story before we... Uh, before we end the show here on Fanatic Radio, presented by 100 Flowers on Block Talk Radio, the United States Nationals, men's national team takes the field for the first time in many weeks. And the last time they did, they won. And the team, and they, they went into the Czech Republic and got a victory. First game since uh, their days in Brazil. But of course, for tonight will be the final men's senior national team appearance from my boy Landon Donovan. Flo, after what has happened with this guy in a matter of months. Are you sad to see Donovan play his final game in a U.S. jersey? You know, it's definitely uh, a changing of the guard. You can probably speak more to it than I can because you've certainly been far more of a soccer fan, and particularly a U.S. Uh, men's national team fan, than I have. But when you think of, uh, you know, think of the faces of U.S. soccer, it's been Landon Donovan, and it's been Landon Donovan for many years. It's certainly going to be odd looking at U.S. soccer now being led by a Josie Outdoor and a Clint Dempsey because, you know, Landon Donovan, even as he wasn't on the World Cup team, 
he he um, you know he's been that face for so many years. It's just going to be very going to take some getting used to. Yeah, because it's interesting. He started his career when he was seventeen. Uh, most people don't realize how long he's actually been playing. He's held he holds every record except the most caps, which is hold, held by Kobe Jones, and rightfully so. Kobe Jones played you know tested the sands of time, but for Landon Donovan. <laughs> You know, he, he's he's played his entire career on the West Coast. He went to he moved to he went to L.A. We obviously started his career at the San Jose Earthquakes, then went to Europe. He was one of those very first players to come from the United States to Europe and make it big. And the other guys are you know Brian McBride had a great career in in, in MLS that went to Fulham. <laughs> And set many records there. Mm-hmm. And then most recent is probably Clint Dempsey. But then he's come back. He's the Land Domino is part of that crew of guys like Demarcus Beasley and that and Kyle Beckerman and Guccianiewu, Tim Howard. Those are the, that first wave of MLS superstars. From when that was back in the early inceptions of the league, so it's time for a little pro and con of Landon Donovan, and I've been waiting for this for a long time, watching all the YouTube videos, and reading all the articles, and listening to all the interviews. There are many pros, but then there are, for fans there are also many cons. Pros of Landon Donovan, as you mentioned, he is as you mentioned, Flo is the his he has been the face, and probably one of the best, probably the in my opinion the greatest player to put on a U.S. uniform. That being said. The, uh, there are other greats, including, you know, obviously Kobe Jones, Brian McBride is another, uh, and and of course most recently, yeah, you got to give the nod to Tim Howard, depending on how long his career goes. But oh, in terms yeah. of a forward, of a of a guy that has had so much ups and downs from going from and why I'm watching this guy grow up. But he's also Landon has also been uh subject of the big the bright lights. Played at Everton and was one of the very first players to to make that jump of say, "Hey, I want to go on loan to to better myself." But then also going on month sabbatical to Cambodia and making guest appearances <laughs> across the country. Now, it's funny because most people, you know, see him. He is a very great soccer player, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that you know don't like him. And one of the guys being Jurgen Klinsmann, who I'm surprised gave him captaincy for tonight's game, tonight's match, 7 p.m. Eastern against Ecuador on ESPN. Got to make that plug because Always. apparently an article came out that ever since Donovan was cut from the national team in May, Klinsmann and Donovan had had not spoken, and People are surprised, but of course it's not because he obviously went back to play with MLS to set the MLS all-time goal-scoring record and all-time assist record, and is on and is probably destined to win another MLS Cup. The fact that those two haven't spoken is no surprise, because as a national team coach, you know you have bigger things to worry about, like grooming your team for the next cycle, which we'll get to in a minute. But the reason why this country has fell in love with Donovan is because he is, I think he embraced getting cut in a very lighthearted tongue in cheek way. You know, we saw, we saw him on those on FIFA commercials, FIFA mm-hmm. 15 for EA sports. We saw him with a great commercial with James Harden for Foot Locker. 
<laughs> which he still thinks he's the captain. Also, other cameos: Charles Barkley and Scotty Pippen. He thinks he's the greatest Bulls of all, Bull player of all time. So, he, and of course, being in LA, he's making the constant, you know, Jimmy Kimmel appearances. So he stays in the public eye, opposed to him playing with a different team in a different city. So, the con, the the pro of it is he, he definitely set the, the the benchmark. Now, fans that did not know soccer. That, that young kids, especially for the youth, that are inspired to play soccer, have someone to look up to. Because when I was growing up playing soccer, we didn't really have that many good USA players to inspire to look at. Other than probably Brian McBride, Claudio Reyna, and uh, the the, uh, the immortal Joe Max Moore. Those were the guys that Donovan's age and our generation looked up to. Now we have guys like Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, so now the next thing is, it's it, we we need to not see this as a farewell to Landon Donovan, but a an embrace to the future of U.S. soccer. Because you think we 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 made the round of 16 without him in the World Cup. So obviously Clemson is doing something right. That being said, and as a very interesting article from um, from Philly.com, I guess the official website of the Philadelphia newspaper. There's an article saying Landon Donovan pretty much shot himself in the foot this whole situation. Had he not gone on that sabbatical, he probably would not have been had major beef with Klinsman and probably would have made the national team for the World Cup. And thus, thinking when he played the World Cup, his retirement may have come later. Because at 32, next World Cup cycle, he'd be 36 years old. Now... Uh, a couple of names that played in this year's World Cup that were 36 years old. Uh, some being among many the many German players, you know, Philipp Lahm, uh, Hans Mertesacker, they're both up in their 30s. English national team had Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, they're up in their oh. 30s. Zinedine Zidane and Terry Henry played up into their 30s. So if Landon Donovan had, that article was criticizing that he his work ethic wasn't all entirely there. And immediately got off on the wrong foot with Klinsman. So that shot himself. I am going to miss him, though, because he was... And also, him not playing in Europe when the MLS refused to let his contract go. The MLS bought his contract out as a, desig- as a league-designated player. He probably would have had more longevity playing in Europe. To quote John Gardner on that. To quote the great John Gardner on that. Yes. One. Love John Gardner. But tonight is his final game. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm disgusted that's in, that it's... His final game in a national team friendly against a Ecuador team that made the World Cup. People probably do not realize that because for them the World Cup was was years ago. Ecuador was in the World Cup and played against a Switzerland and France team that made the Elite Eight. And they played against very good competition. I don't understand why this game is in Hartford, Connecticut, the University of Connecticut football stadium. Of all the places to put a game, which ironically has your greatest athlete for U.S. soccer's final game, why play it in that stadium? But whatever. Because uh, immediately ESPN is chomping at the bit at this because it's you know it's just a bus ride away. And then they take and then eventually they'll take on Honduras at the uh, Florida Atlantic Stadium in Boca Raton, and then they go and play the Republic of Ireland. So there's three games where two are in just. His poor facilities for a, na- a U.S. national team. Of course, that being said, it's in right in NFL times. So they couldn't book an NFL stadium. But obviously, Jerry World's always open because they've hosted more games of college football 
than I've ever seen. But moving on from Landon Donovan, because yes, we do give him an applause. We're going to miss him. But time, it's time to move forward. And how the United States and how Klinsman does that is he makes the immediate shock of adding a player named Miguel Ibarra. Now, I say that name, and nobody knows who he is. And it's I rightfully don't. so that nobody knows who he is, because he plays for a team called Minnesota United FC. And that yeah. is that is in the USL Pro and NASL divisions, the lower divi- lower than the MLS. And he becomes the first player since 1995 to come from a second division tier U.S. soccer professional league to get a call-up to the national team. Now, we saw the last time these, that the United States took the field, Klinsman called up a, a kid named Jordan Morris, who plays at the University of Stanford and became the first player since 98 to be an NCAA student athlete getting called up. So USA is done with the World Cup. They're on to Russia 2016. And the first thing Klinsman, no, 2018, first thing Klinsman does is he goes after the youth. Looking at some of the players on this team, Joe Zhao, who uh, is, has some African roots but is uh, from Beth- a group play of soccer in Bethesda. He's a yeah. youthful guy. We we got, obviously, DeAndre Yedlin and Timmy Chandler. Greg Garza, who grew up playing in my neighborhood, playing uh, he's a, he was a year older than my brother. And then, obviously, you know, Alejandro Bedoya and Joe Corona. Klinsman immediately, you know, wastes no time getting back to what makes a good national team. Which all And soccer, soccer is like baseball in which you need constant youth to be successful. And we've seen that in baseball many times. Other sports, uh, other sports, you can go out and get veterans and make yourself a better team. I mean, just look at the NBA. Look at the Wizards. They they threw away Trevor Ariza to get Paul Pierce. And then the Dallas Mavericks. They got Tyson Chandler and Raymond Felton, which have they have more miles on than a used car and an Enterprise lot. But soccer, you need Love young Enterprise. guys. And and this is actually it's, uh, a pro and con for Klinsman. It's stupid that he's wasting time calling up someone from second division United States soccer or someone from the NCAA because who knows, those guys could get hurt or they could have a spurt of one good season and then just be terrible the rest of the career. Or to many soccer aficionados, there are so many other great players that Klinsman could choose from for these games that he's wasting his time. But there are also pros to this because he is – this just shows how, how far this guy is going to go. Remember how Flo we said when Mike Brennan coaching American University yeah. that you got you got to be a li- to be a successful coach or at least to roll the dice and do what he does. Got to be a little crazy, but it's a good kind That's of right. crazy. You got to be willing to have the cough drops on the scores table and just go nuts in order <laughs> to pitch what you're missing. I can message. use some of them right now. Klinsman is the same way, minus the you know the the, the cough drops. Because he is willing to go above and beyond and sh- and shake things up. He did that for the World Cup. You know, he brought Brad Davis, who plays the Dynamo, who's gotten no love since he's gotten back. But he called up him. He brought Julian Green, a kid who's younger than we are, to and he ended up scoring a goal against Belgium. Klinsman is is he rolls the dice and he is Mr. Vegas. He rolls the dice and does not care what anyone else says because this is his team through Russia. And of course, Klinsman after the successful World Cup campaign we had this time around, making it through a very tough group. Clemson's setting you know, sights even higher, wanting us to make the semifinals in Russia. So the, the tough thing, though, Clemson now has to deal with is 
the ever the ever ongoing debate of keeping your players in the MLS or investing in Europe. Now, looking at the roster he has tonight, he does have a lot of German and European players, but he also has a lot of American players. So it's finding that constant mix. That being said, the only non-German player, a guy playing with a German club, there's three guys that don't play for a German club that play in Europe. And that is Josie Altador and Brad Guzan, who both play in Europe, and Alejandro Bedoya, who play in France. So Klinsmann is still sticking to his guns of getting European players, but he's getting youthful players. So that is the uh, the thing to, interesting to look out for. That being said, I don't think the United States will win. Let, let, you know, Lo and behold, I'm pretty sure they'll probably tie because this is still a very young squad, and Ecuador is not a bad team. The USA has to win. One for Landon Donovan, and two, to keep the the, uh, the general public interested in soccer. Should be an exciting game. 7 p.m. tonight, ESPN, United States, and Ecuador. And before we end the show, Flo, any final shout-outs that you'd like to give, or any funny things that happened to you during the week? You know, uh, a fun thing that happened to me during the week is that uh, as part of my internship with uh, CBS and the CBS News Radio, even though actually my boss was not around on Tuesday, I was, was, you know, was able to go to the White House. And uh, while I didn't get to meet Barack Obama, I was relatively close to him. I was probably about a good 50 yards away from him. He was walking out to Marine One. Because he was headed to New York, this was on Tuesday for some fundraising action. So he went out, walked out to Marine Run, Marine One, which then takes him to Andrews. Then he gets an Air Force One, and then one goes off to fly to New York. In this case, so it's wild when Marine One is coming in, and it's 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 like a, like you feel like you're in a tornado almost. It's so powerful because it lands down. The president walks out, a couple other people walk out, uh, Valerie Jarrett, uh, and then other advisors, Secret Service guys, all that jazz. And then what's crazy is that once the Marine one takes off, then these two other choppers flying behind his decoy, it's kind of swooping it around. And I kind of saw the whole the, the press room and all that. So, yeah, I was at, I was at the White House on Tuesday, and it was uh, certainly a pretty you know, wild day. And uh, 2-0. Uh, best, what was your best part about the White House? Well, I think that, uh, well, Marine One, seeing that, was very cool. And the person I was with who said she had seen it a bunch of times says that no matter how many times you see it, it's still off. So seeing Marine One was very cool. Also seeing, because working at the White House for a reporter, it's considered to be a one of the top positions in the news bureau. But you look at where these offices are, the offices, they're, they're really, they're more like broom cloths. It's very small. You have a bunch of guys uh, sitting very tightly next to each other. It's a pretty wild uh, place to work because it's so small. There's so many people in a small spot. And it was, what may have been the best part, the, pre, the, what the pressure now used to be the pool. But now uh, they filled in much of the pool they, and the pressure is above it, pool underneath. They're also from service, so all the people that visit there and visit the press room sign it. And the, my uh, the superior I was with, who's one of the intern coordinators, she was she got excited when she saw the signature of Rob, of the one and only Rob Lowe. 
So I signed up for as well. So that's one more thing I have in common with uh, Mr. Rob Lowe. Do you have Drake and TV? Because apparently he has that as well. That's, that's right. He did, absolutely. It's a great <laughs> commercial. With the uh, with the less attractive, more creepy Rob Lowe. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Something we can all accept for. Exactly. All right. I want to give a final... <laughs> and uh, my final shout-out is I want to give it to a man named Dennis Cometo, who I think a, a little more than a week and a half ago set a new world record for the men's marathon in Berlin. Now, this is, this is interesting because... Uh, if, you don't have to be a runner aficionado, but you at least have to uh, keep a heads up on this. He not only set a world record, but he ran it in a time of two hours, two minutes, and 57 seconds, breaking the previous mark by 26 seconds. And the funny thing about it is the wet world record since 1974... No, wait. There's an interesting statistic because... Since 2000, you know, the, the world record for the, the marathon was probably one of the most prestigious next to, obviously, the 100, which proves to be the fastest man in the world. But the number of times men's world record have been broken since 2002 has been six times, and all of them have been set in Berlin, which many have gotten a lot of runner uh, aficionados and experts curious, thinking that maybe someday someone can break a sub two hour marathon with the way running technology is improved <laughs> who knows cool. maybe b Flo and i could be the first to do it or maybe our yes. good friend ian lutz could do it yeah for all of us in fanatic, for fanatic radio go to the podcast on itunes bflow360.com to listen to the episode from the notorious ben florence i'm mike gardner check us out next week of fanatic radio presented by 1-800 flowers 4 p.m eastern on block talk radio so long everyone yeah.